Let's keep calm and mother on. Mothering is way too important to do alone and way too serious to be serious all the time. My name is Christy Thomas, and I am here shoulder to shoulder with you, mothering and enjoying life together. This is the podcast where you can focus on being mindful and taking a deep breath with me and learning new things so you can pause and savor the amazing life you already have. Now let's go. Today's guest, Ginger Berg, is a wife, mother, and a high school math teacher. God called Ginger and her husband, Dustin, to grow their family by fostering and adopting. And over the past seven years, their family has fostered six kids and have adopted two, becoming a family of seven. I am so excited today to host the... We'll do that one more time. (laughs) No worries. (laughs) I am so excited today to host Ginger Berg. She wrote an amazing book my patchwork family, and I just want to have a conversation about what her life looks like and why she wrote this book. So hi, Ginger. Hi, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad you're here. Um, You wrote a really cute book, but before we talk about your book, I guess let's learn a little bit about you. What do you want us to know? Sure. So I am a full-time math teacher by like job. That's my job, what I do. And I'm also a wife and mother. And our family is unique uh, because we have three biological kiddos and we've fostered over the past seven years and we've ended up adopting two kids out of foster care. And so I'm currently a mom of five and we just have an interesting dynamic because we have um, kiddos from a bunch of different families that are now part of our family. It really interesting dynamic. You're right. Are you still actively fostering or where's your family doing now? So we actually are not. Um, Our oldest daughter that we adopted, um, she was older when we adopted her and she had a lot of trauma in her background. And so after we finalized her adoption, we did take a step back and decided not to add any more kiddos at that time to help her kind of work through um, a lot of her trauma, but we actually just applied to do an exchange student for next school year. So it's going (laughs) to look slightly different, but we were like, sure, why not? Let's do it. (laughs) That is a whole different experience. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we're excited to find out who we get paired with. Will it be that I can't wait to learn how that adventure folds in for you? Will that kid go to the school that you teach at? Because you teach high school math, right? Yeah, they will. So that'll be kind of cool because I can help them navigate, you know, the the new school setting and help them with, you know, all of that that entails. So I'm super excited. We've never done an exchange student before. So this will be another new step. Yeah. Wow. Cool. So you wrote the book, My Patchwork Family. But I think while I was doing research about it, you didn't write this book for everyone, right? This book started off as not for public. That is true. So it actually started before it was a book. It was more of a concept. Um, When our oldest daughter that we ended up adopting came to live with us, um, she was still in foster care, but she already um, 
had had her parental rights severed and was in need of an adoptive family. And we wanted to be that adoptive family. So as soon as she moved in with us, we wanted to help her feel just that permanence and commitment from us because Mm -hmm. she had been in a lot of foster families before she came to us. And one of the first things we did was we did family pictures with her. And after we had done them, I took family pictures and made this little video slideshow about our family being like a quilt and, you know, how everyone came, you know, kind of came into our family differently and bring in different personalities and backgrounds, but all together we're sewn together in a quilt. And after I did that, uh, my husband actually kind of encouraged me to make it into a story for our family, like write a little book for our family. And being a high school math teacher, I have a lot of friends who are high school English teachers. So I asked yeah. some of them if they could proofread it after I was finished and uh, give me input. And one of them especially really encouraged me. She's like, Ginger, you need to share this story because it's it's a story not a lot of people know about or hear about. And you should really share this with the world. At that point, though, I still wasn't quite ready to put my family story out there. Uh, as soon as you put a story out to the public, you never know what kind of judgment feedback you're going to get back. And I wasn't quite ready to hear that yet for people to maybe not understand or value our family. I was like, no, I think I'm just going to keep it for us for right now. Um, But then about a year later, I decided it was time. It was time to share our family's story. And so that's when it got a little bit bigger than it was originally intended to be. That's amazing. So out of question, are you a quilter? Is that why you went with that analogy? (sighs) Uh, So I'm a very, very, very basic quilter. However, (laughs) my mom and my husband's mom are much better quilters. And my mom actually has made um, a quilt for, she's working on making a quilt for each of her grandkids. And so that kind of reminded me, she's about, she has quite a few grandkids. So she's not through everybody yet, but she has been in that process. Um, Three out of my five kiddos have gotten their quilt already. Yeah, that's so, I mean, I was just wondering, like, where, if you had a personal connection to quilting, because it's such a strong storyline through your book. So let's talk about your book. Your book wasn't written from the perspective of the kids that you adopted or added to your family, which I think is different than a lot of books about adoption. Yeah, I actually wrote it from my oldest biological son's perspective. Um, After my husband had encouraged me to make it into a book, I was struggling kind of with what I wanted it to look like. And so we were talking about it. And my son, ever since, you know, he was old enough to talk, always wanted a little brother. Uh, But we only had biologically two younger sisters for him. And so that was something he would always talk about. He, He just kept on saying he wanted a little brother. And so after we ended up adopting our first kiddo out of foster care, which was a boy, you know, he was, he keeps talking even just now, a few years later, he'll just be like, man, I, I can't believe I have a little brother. Like, that's so cool. And so my husband was like, you could do it from that perspective, like how he kind of unconventionally did end up getting the little brother he always wanted. And that really sparked that creativity and gave me a place to, to really start explaining our family, you know, from his perspective. Yeah, I really appreciated that point of view because I think that in my peer group with people that have done foster to adopt or just fostering, 
most of them have biological kids to start with. And so there's a big a big question that hovers over that, right? Like how will this impact the kids already in my house? Reading your book mm-hmm. from his view was so comforting. Well, and one thing I have to say about my kids, my you know, biological kiddos is they always loved the kids that came into our house like wholeheartedly immediately. Like God really blessed me with kids that um they just as soon as we brought kids in the house, it was like it wasn't am I going to love them? Am I going to accept them? It was just, how can I love them? How can I accept them? And when the kids would end up leaving a lot of the times, I mean, it it just broke them, you know? And so I have to say that, you know, God knew what he was doing when he put our family together with our calling that he called us to, because I don't think we could have done it if our children weren't such a part of it, because it's a whole family, it's a whole family mission. And I don't think people always understand the part that the biological kids have in making those kids feel welcome, feel loved, feel safe, feel part of the family, which is what they need as they're trying to heal from whatever situation happened that caused them to be in foster care. That's a really big perspective change. Yeah, because your kids helped normalize what a family looked like for them and what it could be. Like it gave them a safe spot. Mm hmm. And I've heard, you know, some sad stories from some of the kids we fostered about some of the families where the parents were great, but the kids just didn't make them feel, you know, loved and welcomed. And, you know, it's hard as a parent because you can't, as you know, um, control what your kids do. Like to a certain point you can, you know, train and discipline, but you can't really change their heart on your own. And so I've just been so blessed that my kids have that heart. Um, of love and of sharing and not always, obviously, they're right. still getting fights and normal kids stuff, but they, they always made the kids feel welcome and apart. And that, that was huge for, I feel like the success that we had in fostering. What drew your family to fostering? How did you start this process? Uh, it's actually an amazing story. Um, so my husband and I were called in slightly different times. I was at a woman's um, ice cream social at our church, and I was just sitting there chit-chatting, eating my you know chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream, and a lady from our church who they've adopted overseas um, four times, they were in the process of adopting their third at the time, and she was just sharing their story, and like halfway through her story, I literally mid-bite of ice cream knew, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to adopt. Like it hit me out of nowhere. I wasn't <laughs> looking for it. I mean, it was just like, what is happening? So I went home and I told my husband, I was like, Dustin, I think we're supposed to adopt. And he goes, yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And I was like, okay. So, you know, I told God, I was like, if you want us to adopt, if this is truly our calling, um, I need you to call Dustin separately. Like, I don't want to nag him into this. I don't want to harass him into this. Like, I want him to know for a fact from you that this is what we're supposed to do. Two solid yeses. And so, yes, exactly. And it and that's the only way you can do something that foster and adoption, like, you have to be on the same page um, as your spouse if you're married. Like, you just can't. It will tear you apart if you try to just coerce them into it or uh, anything else. And so about two months later, I was actually home. I had missed church because I had a really bad sinus infection. 
And so I was just laying in bed and I felt horrible. And my husband had brought the three kiddos to church and came home and he plopped down on the bed and he goes, we're going to, we need to have another kid. And I thought he meant like biologically. And I was like, no, I have zero desire to get pregnant. (laughs) Like I'm not doing this. No. And he was like, no, we're supposed to adopt. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, during church today, I just knew like we were supposed to adopt. And so it was amazing how God did that separately. So we both knew, you know, for a fact that that's what we were called to. And, um, My husband at the time was actually finishing up. He went back to college for an engineering degree and he had one more semester left. So we took that semester to talk to a bunch of our friends that have adopted um, various ways overseas, Mm -hmm. infant adoption, foster care, and really pray and research and see what way we felt like God was leading us. And by the end of the semester, we both felt strongly that we were supposed to foster with the possibility of adopting if the kiddos um, needed to have an adoptive resource. And so... That's when we started down that path. Wow. Wow. That is so neat. I love how you both heard it separately um, and were able to confirm it for the other that, like, let's do this together. Was it a fast process from that? Yes. I mean, after your semester of research, did it take a while to get approved? Because I know each state is differently, but I'm curious how it worked for you. So it took us about another semester. Um, We had to do... Um, classes. It was, I feel like it was 10 weeks of once a week for about three hours. There was classes we had to take to get licensed. And then we had to do, you know, first aid and CPR and a few other classes like that and get our house and our vehicles and everything inspected um, and get licensed. And so it took, you know, we decided, I think it was about December and we started our classes in January. And It was June or July when we actually got our license. And did you have a kid placed with you right away? How did foster care work for you? Was it the middle of the night phone calls like they do in Um, movies? Ours uh, ours was not, but I have friends that do foster care and theirs was. But we actually went, um, we had a sibling group of three was our first placement. So we went from three to six kids overnight. Wow. I was pretty crazy and pretty insane. And we had them for about a year. So that was definitely a trial by fire kind of a thing. But um, yeah, we actually got the call on, I think it was Friday. And because it was a set of three, we asked if we could think about it because they were in like a temporary placement for the weekend. And so we asked if we could think and pray on it because that's a pretty big that's Pretty a big, big yes. And yeah. So, You're doubling the kids uh, in your house overnight. <laughs> yes. And we were like, are we really ready for this? That's a lot. Like, holy cow. And so we really prayed about it. And we talked to friends that we trusted about it. And um, at the end of, I think it was Saturday night, we finally both were like, we're supposed to do this. Like, it's going to be crazy. I don't know what this is going to look like, <laughs> but we're supposed to do it. So let's do it. <laughs> And that's how we started the journey. Wow. And they, they, you fostered them for a year before they moved mm-hmm. on? Yes. In fact, um, what's really interesting, and I am going to, we're writing about it in the second book that I'm doing. Oh, um, the do- my daughter that we adopted was one of those siblings of three um, that was with us for a year, a few years ago. Oh, wow. And then after they, after they moved, you know, moved on from us 
you know, some stuff happened and they ended up getting um, split and the, the, her brothers found an adoptive home, um, but she did not. And so it, we did not realize that she was split from her brothers and in need of a home until it was just a total, you know, God thing that we found out about it. And um, as soon as we did, that's when we were like, oh, she needs to come home, like bring her home. And so we had to, because at that point we weren't fostering because we had just adopted my son um, a little bit ago and we were taking a break. So we had to quickly redo <laughs> all of the paperwork and all of the classes yeah. as quick as we could to bring her to bring her to live with us. And so so it's just kind of interesting how how that ended up working out. Um, yeah. What? Yeah. What a circle of a story, because you couldn't have predicted any of that. No, no. In fact, um, when they moved out, we figured we'd probably never see him again because unfortunately with foster care, that's just kind of how it goes. Once they leave, you really don't have any contact. And so, yeah, it was, it was just totally a God thing that we found out she was in need of a family and were able to get her to get her back and, you know, adopt her and, you know, have her forever part of our family. Wow. Now I'm going to have a whole different view when I read your book again, when I get to her part of the quilt. And <laughs> well, and we didn't, we didn't say too much in the first one on it uh, yeah. because I'm a very firm believer of the kids um, having control of their story. Absolutely. And how much is shared. Um, but she actually helped me write the second book we're working on, which is all about her story. Um, and she got to choose like what part she wanted to share and how she wanted to share it, you know, and then I wrote it. And so um, that's going to share a lot more about her story and uh, just how she became a part of our family. That's got to be, it's such a nuanced dance, right? Because you want to protect and love these kids. They're coming from hard places. And and while it's amazing that you're giving them a home, a forever home or a foster home, it's um, it's still their story. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, you know, obviously there's, you know, certain people that need to know their story. Um, but I think you have to be really careful making any part of their story public knowledge that doesn't necessarily need to be because then they can never get that privacy back. And so I think you have to be super careful sharing it on their behalf, um, especially when they're younger, things that just don't necessarily need to be shared, um, letting them have that control because there's so many things in their life they don't have control of. And, um, you know, she's 13 now, so I feel like she's getting to the age where she's old enough to kind of decide what of her story, you know, she's ready to share and what she's not. And, um, and so I'm really excited for that book to, to finish in the next few years and come out and, um, yeah, just give her that voice. When that comes out, I would love to host both of you if she's if she's ready for that. So let me know. I think she would. Be. <laughs> I think she would love that. I think she would love that. So if you had advice for like, I've got a couple of friends that have adopted. What's a, what's the advice? What's the fine line of talking to my kids or or not being too nosy? Right. When these kids mm-hmm. Mm-hmm are either just temporarily there for foster care or they get adopted? Like what's, do you have any feedback or tips for that? Um, so if it's people that are outside of the family, yeah, you know, I think it's important that 
I don't know, to realize that you don't need to know all of the mm-hmm. details about their biological family to love and support them. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, the the less you ask, the less awkward it is because there's so much we're not allowed to share. Yep. And it just gets super awkward when people ask us questions and we have to be like, um, well, yeah, I can't tell you that. So let's talk about something else. So I think it's just... <laughs> You know, how can I help support you are better questions or, you know, is there any special needs you have that I can do, you know, like those kind of things. Because I know the most supported I ever felt was just when people would ask like, hey, like, especially when we had the three kiddos, like, what can I do on a regular basis that would take some stress off of you? Like I had one friend that would come over and do spelling words with one of my kiddos once a week. And that was like, for her, it was no big deal. She was like, I love doing spelling words. And I was like, but you don't understand. Like, it's a battle for me to work with him on those. Like, it's a fight every week. And you come over and because you're not in the mom role, he just works with you. And so it saves me hours of battle. He's learning more. I mean, and so it was huge. It was just huge. For her, it was no big deal. For us, it was huge. I mean, even things like, could I bring one of them to a practice every week? You know, like things like yeah. that, that to the person doing them, it's no big deal. But to the foster parent that maybe is at their wits end, that doesn't necessarily show it. But, you know, we've we feel like we are done. We have nothing more to give. It can mean the world to feel that kind of support. So I think finding asking more about, like, how can I help in less about the specifics of yeah. the situation is just super helpful. That is really helpful feedback, I think, because some we just really want to help. Like our curiosity, most of the time those questions are coming from a place of kind curiosity is what I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing that you can say, hey, can I bring a dinner or how can I help once a week or our kids are on the same sports team? Would it help if you had one mm-hmm. less kid to drive around? Um, I bet that would suddenly make a very tangible difference in your stress level. Oh, huge. And I know that most people are asking for those things out of love. It's usually never just to be nosy, but it's just hard when you have to constantly just be like, oh, I can't tell you that. Like it, it starts to like almost make you feel stressed out. Like people are sick of me just saying, I can't tell you that, but yet (laughs) I can't tell you that. So right. That privacy is really, really important. So during that Mm -hmm. first year, how did you work together to bond as a family? How did you pause and have fun? Uh, So we did movie nights a lot. Um, We would, I think we did that our first night too, because I have some friends that have done foster care and that was my most anxiety filled thing is like, what do you do when they first come to your house? Like, right, you don't know them. They're strangers. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, one of my friends was like, just watch a movie together, get snacks, watch a movie. It doesn't even matter that everyone's eating unhealthy and you're sitting in front of a TV. It makes everybody at ease. Like mm-hmm. there's no pressure to like talk. There's no pressure. You know, it's just a relaxing environment that most people enjoy watching movies and eating junk food. And it was such great advice because it really did let us just relax. Like no one was feeling like they were getting asked a bunch of questions mm-hmm. or like they had to perform a certain way. You just chilled and watched a movie together. And so we did that quite a bit. Um, we would go for walks, you know, a lot, go to the pool our community pool in the mm-hmm. summertime, you know, just play- ways where you can be together without it necessarily having to be 
a lot of, you know, like dead silence. Cause I think that sometimes is hard um, when you're building that rapport, like once you get it, then that's good. But when you're still in that process, it gets kind of awkward sometimes and things like that. It sounds a lot like, um, like first dates to be honest. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I never thought about that, but you are, you are totally right. <laughs> Like that, that, that quiet, you can handle the quiet in after a couple of dates, but like initially, like that movie night is a great first date. Like you're just building mm -hmm. that relationship and it takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes time. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd love to share more about your story? What's important to know as one last thing? Uh, so anyone who's thinking about doing foster care and adoption, my best advice to anyone is to make sure you surround yourself with, I call them my tribe, your community, your support system. But it's important that these are people that love and support you, but are willing to kind of push you because we all have those people that love us. But if we start saying how hard something is and how much it's taking out of us, that love will sometimes have them say like, oh, well, you did your best. You don't need to keep doing that. Like, it's just not working out. And that's not what you need to hear when you're fostering and you're struggling because everything in you is already being like, this is just too hard. You just need to give up. You need someone who's going to lovingly listen and not be like, oh, it's not that big a deal. They'll like acknowledge that this is hard, but then they'll also remind you of your calling. They'll remind you of your commitment. They'll step up and say, yeah, this sucks. How can I help you continue to push through this? Like, what can I do? And so you need to find that community that lets you be real, lets you be honest, but helps you continue to do that hard work that's necessary that you know you're supposed to do. That's, um, that's really golden advice. I think that it's really easy to to love someone poorly and tell them to give up. Like mm -hmm. there's going to be hard times, I bet in fostering. And I'm sure there still is with adoption that those stories have long scars sometimes. Yeah. And I am so thankful that I have the friends that I can literally call and be like, I need you here. And they won't even ask what's going on. They won't, I mean like literally they're there and they don't even know what they're walking into, but they're there and they, I mean, I have so many different friends that have just shown up when, you know, we've had situations where, you know, especially in the beginning parts, my daughter that we adopted, she had a lot of what I call trauma responses. It's where she gets into fight or flight and feels like there's a threat even when there's not actually a threat based on just her past and yeah. so she'll sometimes you know would get violent or get I don't it was just really bad and so like I would have friends that would just come and like sit with my other kids while I tried to de-escalate her because my husband travels a lot for work mm -hmm. and so when he's not there you know, normally if we're both there, it's a lot easier right. to like, okay, divide and conquer. But I have friends that when my husband's gone, I can be like, I need you here. And if like the first one can't or something, like I feel like I have three or four friends that I can be like, I need you. And like, I know someone will be there and they won't ask questions and they're not going to judge. They're just going to like help me however they need to. And so, yeah, having that, I don't think I could do it without that. Like, I don't know how people that don't have that support system could do it because it's it really does take a village, you know, to raise a child. And 
yeah. And I've learned that I have to rely on my village. At first, I thought I could just do it on my own. Like, if I was a good enough mom, I could just figure <laughs> this out and do it right. And, like, I've had to come to terms with the fact that, like, that's not the right perspective. No. The right perspective is knowing when you need help, knowing who you can ask for help, and then humbling yourself to say, hey, I need help. I can't do this on my own. And, um, yeah, and accepting that they're not going to think less of you for that. Like, no. If they're really, truly your friends. That's what they want. They if want they're the right person, they want the opportunity to love you and to be there for you. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that's totally amazing. So where can we find My Patchwork Family, your book, Ginger? So you can either buy it on Amazon. And if you do Amazon, there's also a Kindle edition. So um, if you're wanting to just look at it first and see if you love it before you buy the hardcover, that's a really good option. Or you can go to my website, which is just mypatchworkfamilybook.com, and you can buy it from there as well. It is a fantastic book. If you're at all wanting to read about adoption or fostering, this book is unique because it's through the view of her first son. So this is a whole different ballgame. I really appreciate this book. Thank you so much. Like I said, it's always good to hear that because it's always hard putting part of yourself out there and being like, oh, I hope everyone likes it. Yeah, no, there's going to be haters no matter what. So we're we're <laughs> glad you're brave because, you know, as moms, we need each other and all of our families look different. So it's good to see this family represented. So I have two last questions for you, Ginger, because each episode ends with these two questions. What is an act of self-care that you're doing to keep calm and mother on with your family? So one thing I do, and it's probably absolutely ridiculous, and so my friends kind of tease me about it. When I oh, feel I really can't wait. stressed out, <laughs> when I feel really stressed out, and like I just feel like, oh my goodness, I need to like, whoo. I put in my earbuds and I lay on the concrete of my driveway in the sun and I just listen to music for like five minutes. And there's something about laying on the concrete with like my earbuds. So I'm kind of cut off from the world in the sun. And it just helps me like just calm, be more present. Like, I don't know, there's something about it. And so my kids know, like if I'm laying on the driveway, <laughs> you can come and like cuddle with me, but you cannot ask me questions. Like there is no talking. Like if you want to lay down and put your head on my shoulder and join in on, you know, the whatever, that's fine. But you don't ask me questions. And uh, yeah, some of my friends tease me. They're going to, someone's going to think I'm passed out in the driveway. And I was like, that's fine. That would just add to the fun if EMS shows up. So <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah. Um, I've laid down in my driveway and people stopped their car and asked me one time. So, so there you go. I've had that experience. <laughs> We're like, a nice old couple. <laughs> I sat up. They're like, are you okay? And then I sat up because my husband was deployed. So like the same thing. I was like oh. laying down for a breather. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's quiet out here. Um, and yeah. they're like, are you okay? I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Just you keep driving. It's okay. <laughs> you just need to add in some music, especially when it's like, oh, the concrete's just kind of warm, not hot. Oh, it's just like perfect. That's fantastic. So my last question is, is how are you playing as a family right now? Or do you have an idea? Like your movie night was a great idea, but do you have one more way that you pause and connect? 
Um, I love when we go for family walks. It's getting to be that weather again where we can do it and we just go for a nice long walk and usually like halfway through one of us will, either Dustin or I will like randomly be like, all right, race to the stop sign. But we make sure we're like way farther ahead than any of the kids as far as to the stop sign. So it's totally not fair, but we still usually don't win. And like, you know, just things like that, um, just getting outside and letting them run off some energy. Um, we, we really enjoy that. And then in the summertime, we love going to our community pool and just, I think anything, especially our youngest is six and he has so much energy and then it goes all the way up to 13. And so that's, there's such a range, but the certain things that we all love is swimming and watching movies and going for walks. So we do those together a lot. I love that. Yeah, I totally get it. My kids range from 14 to eight, my three. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's a big, that, that span can be a challenge from the oldest to the youngest. So outdoor mm-hmm. pools and walks. I love that you win for your races. Oh yeah. I cheat so bad when it comes to those kind of things. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm totally, and they all know I'm cheating. Like I don't even try to pretend yeah. like I'm not, but yeah, I wait till I'm like way far ahead. And then I'll be like, I do the same thing when we're leaving church. I'll wait till I'm way far ahead and be like, race to the car. And then there was like, Oh mom. And like, yeah, I'm like, Nope. It's happening. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being a guest. This story is fantastic to hear and to share. And I hope it inspires someone else to at least pray about it or research what foster and adoption could look like for their family. Yeah. And I would love to offer too, if you have any questions, I'm a pretty open person. I have an email address for my book. It's just my patchwork family book at gmail.com. If you have any questions at all that you want to ask someone in a very non-judgmental, open way, feel free to email them. I love talking to people that are thinking about foster care and adoption. Excellent. And I will put all of that in the show notes. So in case you're driving or walking right now, you can find it there. Well, thank you so much. I hope you have a great day, Ginger. You too, Christy. Thanks for having me again. I am so thankful that I got to have this conversation. Listening and editing it totally filled my cup again. It's fun and amazing to see all the variety of families out there and how we all as moms just need each other. We're missing the village. There isn't the village anymore unless we pause and ask for help. I think Ginger models that really well. She took on a hard thing and because of that, She's had to learn how to ask for help from her friends and to accept help. That was a huge lesson for me to hear. And I hope that you take that part of her story and use that bravery. Even if you're not able to foster or adopt, you can reach out and be the helper and you can ask for help. Please help me by leaving a rating and review. My goal is to have 50 ratings and reviews on iTunes. Uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called nowadays, by 4th of July. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that help. You are exactly the right mom for your kids, and I am so glad you're here. Go savor the amazing life you already have. You're a rock star. Bye.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.